All right. So the last time we chatted, it was almost about a year ago, I think. It was yeah. yeah, it was it was just after the Solden World Cup. So yeah, good to good to have you back on the podcast. Look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Lots of lots of people messaged me to say they really enjoyed just some of the in, insight you gave into boot fitting. Um, links between technique and, and equipment setup. So I just thought we could maybe delve a little bit deeper and ask a few more questions to help listeners yeah just understand this sport a little bit a little bit better from all angles. So so Harold you were we were both in NZ this last winter. We didn't we, we kind of I think I flew out pretty much the day you flew in. But how was your how was your New Zealand experience? Uh, we we really had a great time in New Zealand, and our friends there were just terrific. Um, we got to see the whole South Island, uh, a lot of it by helicopter, and and some by car. We went to the west coast, and you know, we 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 packed in a lot. We really packed in a lot of tourist stuff within a couple of weeks. And loved it. And the skiing uh, was sort of what we expected as far as uh, being a little milder climate uh, in the winter. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any cold days. So we had some varying uh, snow conditions. and uh, But it all worked out well. People got a lot out of it. We had people from, people from China in the groups. And we had mostly Kiwis and Aussies. So it was some people we knew. And there were some new people. So it was really, really good two sessions of camp. Cool. And so, how does how does a uh, uh, their week long sessions the yeah, camps? These were short, a little bit shortened. They were uh, three day sessions as opposed to normally we do five day sessions. Yep, yep. And what like how did it, how did it run? What was like the first day, like the second day, third day? How did you structure it? Uh, the the group that we uh, were familiar with. Uh, we know where they are along the lines of their progression and, and their uh, improvements in skiing. and So we basically picked up from, say, an Austria camp or another camp, and uh, we did some refresher work, uh, you know, some basics, which would mean balancing on one ski, keeping the other foot, the type of thing that gets the ski on edge uh, with the the precise movements and then evolving that into uh, deeper angles and deeper curves and more control and, and then going to steeper terrain and we pretty much skied every ter- every piece of terrain up there hmm. in the upper mountains and as you know it, it can be pretty steep and challenging especially if it freezes yeah. uh, from the warm day- days of before yeah 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 definitely so what did you find these people um, if you had to generalize the main, I guess, goals these people were coming to you for, what would you say they were? What were they hoping to get out of it? Uh, I think our customer or client has uh, a, a sort of different look, view of what they want out of skiing than the general person that goes to ski area or ski school. They, they're highly motivated. They're they're driven by becoming the best skiers they can become and they do a lot of research uh, about what kind of lessons different groups give and, and what are, what is available 
in the world of skiing, and they go all around the world and looking at websites and different techniques and people who offer sessions. Um, very so, discerning. Yeah, it's a discerning crowd, yes, very much so. Mm-hmm. And high expectations as well. And uh, I, can, I can say that we've been very fortunate and, and have met or exceeded people's expectations over the years and, and that's what keeps us going and we're, we're proud to say that. Mm-hmm. So do you think they measure, they measure, I guess, success from a camp in ways of um, not necessarily like skiing, you know, the gnarliest terrain or whatever? Do you find they are really quite uh, interested in 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 refining their technique and really nailing kind of the the intricacies of skiing, would that be right? Yes, both. In fact, we do ski gnarly terrain and, and with the groups, and, and we ski off piece. You know, as, as you know, the area there under chairlifts where it's not groomed and, and it's frozen from the day before, and you've got all these tracks in there, and it's really steep. There's steep sections. And we ski right in there, and they want to test their, they want to test what they've learned and apply it yep. in those situations. And so, we've got that going on as well. So both of those things are really important to them. They want to be able to get off piece. They want to go helicopter skiing. That's mm-hmm. a big motivation. They want to go helicopter skiing. They want to be on top of it. And they want to be able to ski it with real, you know, some serious uh, turns that that uh, it won't break down, and and that that they can really challenge the terrain with yeah yeah so were you what were you challenging yourself or what were you working on since you got to have kind of double up on on winter this year oh in my own skiing you mean correct yeah in your own skiing well it it wasn't that far out of my summer you know experience from hintertips which we ski into april so it was a few months off, and, and then you know, skiing in August again. So it wasn't a big leap to get back on the skis. Uh, I felt pretty comfortable uh, after a run or two. But uh, so, and I was using the same boots as I was last winter, so I didn't have to do a lot of adjustments, uh, and I was uh, pretty much on the same skis. This winter, uh, coming into this season, I've gone back to some old boots to test and some new boots to test, and so I'm playing around with some different variations. So that's very challenging and time-consuming and uh, really dedicating, and I go up. I'll go up in the morning uh, uh, early and, and when there's no lift lines and, and run probably six or seven hard runs and then leave and try to get video and, and, and look at what's happening with my legs. And, some of it you can already see on my blog because I put some of those pictures and, and frames up from different video clips that I have, and actually have, have a, a whole run of video mm-hmm. uh, in my setup. Going back to my old boots. Why have you done that? Why have you changed boots? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a good question, and part of it is I'm not uh, as maybe as feeling the same as I did 10 years ago when I was 60, you know, a really young guy. Yeah. So, so body changes have, uh, an analysis of my, my skiing, I'm looking at it from a different perspective now. I'm looking at it from, well, I'm still trying to get angles and big angles and, and big, you know, uh, 
powerful turns and so on. Yet, some of the boots may be more conducive to allowing me to get over further, getting get my hip in closer to the ground and, and create a uh, more angle for my arcs, so to speak. Uh, bang for the buck or whatever you want to call it and allow me to release with a strong flexing move without putting me in the back seat. So I'm looking for those things, those nuances that maybe would require less adjustment in, in transition yep. over the skis for the new turn. So are these yeah, new... I'm always, so the I'm boot... Making, <laughs> look, trying to look for something that maybe is easier to work with but to get the same performance. Yeah. So what would you say the characteristic differences going back to this old boot or the this different brand again how would you you know how would you describe fortunately i have a video of my team that goes back you know 20 years and and i look at the different boots i've gone through during that period like okay i I like this setup i like what this did for me and then i kind of okay that boot has these characteristics and my old boot had a little bit similar characteristics for the ones I'm, that I skied on. I really liked the way the, the legs went over, the symmetry from one side to the other. Yeah. The, the, you know, one of the, some of the, let me give you a couple of key things that I look for. I look at the shin angles as I transition from one side, one set of angles to the other. And whether they're parallel, whether I see a little O frame in there, or whether I see yeah. an A frame. Yeah. Yeah. What adjustments did I have to make to clean that up and make it look really symmetrical? And I've hit upon some of those things, and I've found some of the things I really like uh, in the new in the old new boots. And I have a new pair of old boots, so I have <laughs> the same boots in a new model. And then I have last year's boots, uh, which were Del Bellos, and I have a brand new pair of Nordica World Cup boots that I haven't really started working with. But I need to do some work before I can be sort of. Pain free, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that's a, when you're skiing in a 93 to 94 lap and a 26 that, that I ski with 150 flex barometer. You, there's not a lot of leeway for uh, the way your foot fits in those things. The boot dictates to what your foot's going to do in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think? Do you think 3D printing of boots is not far away? Yeah, I think it's a big possibility. I, I think that there's some some big inroads to be made there. Uh, just as long as the plastic can hold up, and that's probably the biggest factor. Yeah. They can make, you know, the plastic has been, even some of the moldable plastics that are out there and some of the boots that are heat moldable don't hold up, and they can't use the 150 flex in some of those products. So, yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they, it, the plastics haven't been perfected yet. Yeah. For that kind of use. use yeah. Yeah. So since we last spoke, if, I don't know if you remember, I was asking you quite a lot about my own boot setup and some of the issues I'm having and what you'd recommend to try and test out in terms of a different boot brand and um, where I could go. And so after that, I did some modifications to my own Dow Bellows. So I actually had to re-drill where the cuff bolted on and so I moved it so I could align the cuffs further out. And that made a difference, definitely. Um, but I just went for it and, and started all over again and went for a Fisher 150 vacuum boot. And um, the, the change was unbelievable. 
like straight away noticed when I got out on snow how much easier it was to make all the movements I've been trying to make. So get my my hip counted in the right position so I wasn't rotating through the turn with my upper body and where I was able to leverage from to create edge angles so not not drive the knee as much but actually finesse you know the ankle knee but really use power from the hip and and that all came from this boot which suited my anatomy far far better than anything i've had before so yeah it's been awesome that you kind of helped me go down that road and just take the plunge into into making that that boot change yeah, and, and actually I saw you skiing in that boot and, and I saw a dramatic difference, uh, which was really neat to see. Yeah, yeah. Symmetry from side to side and, and the leg angles uh, going over congruently, in other words, parallel with each other, uh, was uh, it was really noticeable, the difference, you're, the, you didn't have to fight yeah. hard or make adaptive movements to get what you wanted to get, and the hip seem to be lined up with the forces and, and you were able to drop into the turn much more easily. Yeah, 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 it was really good. I actually had uh, one one really strong impetus to change. It was I was skiing Revelstoke for uh, two days and it wasn't very soft snow. It was nice, but it was warm. So we were just skiing bumps all day in the boots that I'd modified and, and I didn't, I don't know when it happened, may have been, partway through the end of the first day but one of the bolts came out of the cuff and so at the end of two days skiing big huge bumps all day at Revelstoke one of my knees hurt and my knees never ever ever hurt like I've never had any issues with my knees before and I was like what is this and it was really painful and packing my boots away to head head back to Sun Peaks I, I look and oh there's a bolt missing and then, so every time my knee moved inside or rolled, my outside foot would roll in, my knee was unsupported and it just drove so far in so much further. I looked at some of the photos a friend had taken and I could actually see it. And um, so it just made me realize, you know, if, if, if that small change can end up in two days giving me knee pain, like I wonder all the poor people out there skiing in boots that aren't really set up for their alignment. It's dangerous. Absolutely, and it's not immediate either. It's long-term. It's it's a kind of overuse injury that uh, develops by either wearing down meniscus on one side or another. And also, the femur has to rotate over the tibia, and if the, the ski is locked in and you're trying to get to turn harder or sharper, then you're actually putting a lot of stress on the ligaments as well to, to try to get that knee to, to power down into the boot. And if, if you're not getting a response from the boot, you've got to go further than, you know, the stress in the knee can actually really sustain yeah. years and years. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and people don't realize that, you know, a lot of young kids I see out there on the wide skis and on floppy boots, and, and they're driving their knee way in and make that ski turn. They don't realize what they're going to deal with down the road. No. It's going to be a real issue. The orthopods are going to love this stuff. Yep, yep. And unfortunately, they, they might not even connect the dots. They will just right. go, oh, 
I've got bad knees and maybe their dad for some reason also had bad knees but not really connect that they skied, you know, 50, 60 days a year cranking big fat skis with sloppy boots and putting undue stress through there. But, yeah, interesting to think about. And, and, and you know, that's fine if you're on snow that gives a little bit mm-hmm. on your foot because then you can you compress the snow and the ski goes up on it and, and then it will start reacting the way you want it to, which is sort of what the skis are for. They're really for soft snow. They're not made for packed down hard snow like mm. early season snowmaking, which we need two months worth uh, before we get enough snow to, to really say, okay, now the, the fat ski should be used. Yeah. and uh, Or can be advantages. But yeah. on this snow that we're on now, the narrow ski is the way to go if you don't want to put stress on your knees. Yeah. So something I played with in New Zealand this year and I think it's got to do with the the proportion of my limb lengths. So me, I have a longer torso than is sort of proportioned to my tibia and, and femur length. And so with these boots, I tried gas pedaling, which was raising the toe just just a mil. And the result was I felt far easier ball the foot pressure at the start of the turn than I've ever really experienced before. And I was wondering what, when are your usual uh, kind of indications to take a client and perhaps gas pedal or rather than tip the boots further forward, kind of tip them back? Yeah, well, what we do is we have skis that are set up with a gas pedal and we have a set of skis that are set up with a heel lift. So a lot of that will depend on what equipment that, that the student shows up with and, and, you know, the delta that's already in the binding and in the boot and what, and then where from that starting point do, do we look at their stance in it, in that equipment. Because it, every piece of the puzzle or, or of the stacking of the equipment up has an impact. And so you have to evaluate all of it, and then you evaluate the student's uh, position over their skis and whether, what kind of difficulty they're having getting forward or what kind of difficulty they're having getting on the back of the ski, or, or say on the heel at the end of the turn. Are they losing the, the heel all the time? Are they having trouble getting the tipping gauge? Those are all different things that you're looking for. So... Yeah, there's an application for gas pedaling. If you're close to like you are, then one millimeter will be enough. And mm-hmm. it's substantial, you know, it's a pretty big, especially for the gas pedal. It's less substantial in the heel. If you have a flat ramp, you may need to jack up the heel more. And and we've seen that in some boots. Uh, we've, you know, I know people who've done and even some of the skiers that you know very well who are great skiers have had to put lifts in some of the products in the back yep. the heel yep. to get the pull back of the legs and the feet get that recentered when they back down on that to work harder to get recentered. Although they're really fine athletes, they even sense, oh, i got to work harder, but I'll make that sacrifice because I, I don't want to be jacked up or yeah. that high in the heel. Yeah, yeah. So would it make sense because I was, you know, at first it doesn't, logically makes sense to think okay i'm actually going to tip myself backwards to feel more pressure forwards 
Well, the thing there is that that that's dependent on the forward lean that's already built into the boot, and if the forward lean of the boot is already more than what is your natural stance, then it negates the forward lean, and it gives you earlier pressure on the tip of the ski. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe the forward lean is a little too aggressive, and now you're negating some of that forward lean, and it's giving you instant pressure where you want it, which is in the forebody of the ski or up by the ball of the foot when you're starting to initiate the turn. Yeah. So the one thing I was playing around with and thinking perhaps was because like the, my, my torso and my neck is quite long, when I flex at the hips, there's a lot more weight that can go forward quite easily with each degree more I bend at the waist, at the hips to get forward. And so because perhaps that's that relative length versus how I'm not having got a very big foot, 26.5 length foot, yet I'm almost six foot tall and um, with the shorter shorter femurs and tibias, maybe that gas pedaling allowed me to still have the flex in the hips. So I had the flexibility for rotational lateral kind of movements there, but didn't pitch me off my heel. So I could still feel my heel and the ball of foot. I don't know. Does that would that make sense? Oh, absolutely. That that makes that is the perfect scenario that you just mentioned, and, and that. You know, with with the with the booth that you just got into, and, and let's 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 just point that out that not everybody is going to get the same result that you receive from the booth that you moved into because of the way your tibias come out of uh, your feet and your ankles. They they curve away from the center line. Yep. So that a boot that has an aggressive cuff already built in without having to change the cuff, which fishers would have. Do, yep. Uh, so that's a natural boot for you and the way your legs come up through your ankles and up to your knees, right? The curve that you have low. You've got low tib, tib, tib verum. Yep. Um, so that works. Now, if somebody is the opposite and has a straight <laughs> pronating but that's not going to work for them. Yeah. That's going to be actually detrimental. No matter how much I say, these are the best boots ever, you should get them. That's, right. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's yeah. why you have to be, as a professional, you have to be very cautious about how you recommend product Yeah. based on the individual. You have to almost be able to evaluate the individual. You know, and a lot of ski companies would like to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some of these ski instructors at a big ski area on my boots and skis because the customers will see that and they'll think, well, those are the good skis and boots because the, the pros are using Yeah. And that is so misleading and, it, and it's really false advertising. Yeah. Down to it. Yeah. It, that may be absolutely the wrong boot for that individual. Yeah. But, you know, because the guy skis really well on them, well, I should be able to ski really well on them. It's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, until you do a complete measurement, a biomechanical assessment, and then do video and do some indoor dynamic assessment, you're not even close so we've talked before about how when you fit people in your shop for for their boots the importance of having dynamic alignment assessment versus just a static you know the usual stand stand on two feet evenly weighted flex your knees flex your ankles and then and people just checking it and that's where they stop you go further and you do dynamic 
alignment tests. Can you give us an idea or explain to us this process you go through and the checks you do yeah. for that? Yeah, the, the, it's evolved to the point where there are steps that we go through, very deliberate steps. To, and one, the first one we do is we put the person, whether they have footbeds or, or we make the footbeds, it doesn't matter. The footbeds go into the shell without a liner and they stand in the shells parallel uh, with their a natural stance width. And then we evaluate where the cuffs are relative to their legs, what kind of curves they have in their legs. And even before we've done, all, even before we do that, we do a total biomechanical assessment. So we already know how much curve there is in the leg, and, and so we're not really guessing at that. We, we, can, we can measure it, and we can see it in the boot, and, and where the cuff lines up with the boot or how close one side is to the leg compared to the other side. And the spacing between those. Okay, and so that—that's the first thing we do. We and you don't do any bottom canting, you know, on the soles or anything before you do that that piece. Mm -hmm. now, some boots won't go far enough to accommodate the spacing that you're looking for. So we actually retrofit the cuff adjusters, and we actually design cuff adjusters that go further than what the manufacturers have. And so, we put other manufacturers' adjusters in boots that don't have adjusters. Like yep. a lot of the Lang boots don't have medial adjusters, so we put a head adjuster in there. Yep. And we actually add adjustment to a Lang. Yep. Now, here's one thing that if any parents are listening and, and have kids racers, if they're in Lang boots, one of the and, – and we sell Langs, and the Lang is a great ski boot, don't get me wrong. But there is something about a Lang with kids. Most of the kids that we line up in the shop and look at their assessment – Without the liner in their bare legs in the in the shell, their shells are touching their legs on the medial side on both medial sides. Huh. Almost every pair of Lang boots, juniors, uh, you know, Z juniors or even ZAs, have we've retrofitted the medial side so that we can move it further away from the leg, or else you get this wicked A-frame on these kids and they cannot get off the edge. Yep. Hmm. That's yeah right. I, we we must have done twenty of them at least this year already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just one one case scenario, you know. And, yeah. And uh, it, it's because the Lang has got an aggressive design with the cuff moving, you know, is tilted towards the outside, and mm -hmm. when you tilt the cuff toward the outside of both boots, then it hits the medial side of both inner legs. So that's that's one of the scenarios that we deal with. And yeah. With the Fisher, it's the opposite, right? You got the opposite thing going. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what are some of the dynamic assessments okay. so, now? Sorry, going back to fulfilling your question. That's the first step. The next step is uh, we make. If the, if the ankle bones and the, and the navicular, which are, you know, the bony structure on the medial side of your foot, which are two inside, the two sides of the foot that face each other. Yep. On the medial side, uh, you know, mm -hmm. below, below your body. If those are touching the side walls of the boot with the footbed in there, then we create space for those bony protrusions so that the ankle and foot can be tilted or rolled over without hitting the, or contacting or forcing against the sidewall of the boot. Because if you do, it, basically the boot is locking you up from moving laterally into the into the angle and your foot needs to be, to be most effective. 
for the forces that you're, you're going to generate in the steepers. Yeah. That's step two. That's what we look at next. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we put people in their liners, in their footbeds, in the boot itself. And then we do the same thing all over again. We measure the knee center down to the boot and see where they end up. And from there, we do one-footed stance and we have them flex in it and one-footed balance to see if the if how much change and rotation there is in the tibia and the femur that that changes the tracking of the of the knee mass, uh, you know, at the tibial level. And what would you say is acceptable? Uh, you know, there's the variations are so huge. I mean, from one person to even from one leg to the other, let alone one person to the other. You can, uh, my own case is my left leg tracks out and my, my right leg tracks straight. So that is already has an influence on how I'm going to align that left leg and, and make it work better for me so that I can get it on edge without having either too much of a gap or having too much of the cuff pushing against it. So it resists the ability and makes it worse, makes it track even further outside. Yeah. So those are the kinds of considerations. Right there in the shop, it's already dynamic. You see, when you stand on one leg and you yeah. You're, there you've added some some dynamic parameters, not fully loaded, obviously, as on speed on an angle with forces in, in a ski term with speed, but you're starting to see some characteristics develop there, and yep. those are the beginnings of setting up a, a, a good alignment. Mm-hmm. So you would, would you say that someone stands, lifts their right leg up so they're balanced on their left foot and then flexes their left ankle and knee and hip where do you kind of look, so you're just assessing there, how does the knee change from where it started in two-footed stance? Does it does it go inwards? Does it go outwards? Does it go straight? And, and, and is there an ideal, like should there be a little bit of when you balance on one foot, should the knee move a little bit medially? Yeah, it gives you a little bit of an advantage getting the ski on edge, and and it, that then will also depend on the technical expertise or prowess of that individual. Somebody who is a high-level skier, now we're going to mix technique with boot alignment. Somebody who can really flex aggressively and retract the legs aggressively and change edges while the ski is unweighted can be aligned a little more aggressively to the outside of center line of the boot sole, uh-huh. the lateral center line, yep. because they, they're not waiting that, they're not putting that ski on edge while it's weighted. So they can get an angle before they're actually setting the ski down in the snow and putting pressure into it, right? Yep. So they, they have overcome the point that's difficult to put the ski on edge because they have the expertise as an athlete and as an evolved skier. Mm-hmm. A less evolved skier will put the ski down and have to roll it up and they encounter resistance. And when they encounter that resistance, the ski wants to go straight and so they keep it flat and they twist it. So those are, that's when you really start to understand alignment, what it does, because you know we ski with more than 90% of the people we do alignment with. So we can see those results right on snow and you know we've evolved it another dynamic setup indoors which is the slant board which we can get to yeah but there are some definite alignment parameters that you would not put on a advanced intermediate that you would put on an expert skier or a high level skier mm-hmm. if you're serious about stepping up your skiing skills listen up i've been working closely with the carve team for over four years 
and they've just unveiled a groundbreaking feature, Active Coaching Mode. And here's the lowdown. Launch it at the top of your run and go through a quick calibration with 10 turns, and it sets a baseline just below your current skill level. From there, every turn is a challenge, adapting on the fly to your skill, terrain, and conditions. No fluff, just a gamified experience pushing you to ski better every turn. It does this by using a super thin insole lined with small pressure sensors and motion detectors. It's like having a personal coach analyzing your every move. And here's the sweet part. If you hit a hot streak with excellent form and you're in for double or triple points, it's addictive, rewarding. Like I said, it's a very gamified experience and it transforms every run into a step towards better skiing. If you're intrigued, and you should be, check out Carve and dive into active coaching mode. Just Google Get Carve to find out more, and as a bonus, enter code GELLY15 to take 15% off. It's amazing. I've heard from the Carve team that now nearly over a third of the users are using active coaching mode when they go out and ski with it. So why not give it a try yourself? So for instance, if I really... If I really wanted to, yeah. Whereas the intermediate would not benefit from that. So, for instance, I came in and I'm saying, right, I want to start racing slalom, or I really want to be just take my short turns up up a notch. You would perhaps be looking to see maybe help, like encouraging my knee to be a little bit more lateral. So that I, you know, I have to actively work to drive it in, and um, yeah. yep, not yeah, not waiting is, for the for that moment. That is a measurement of you know maybe a, a millimeter or two to the outside of center. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that little still acceptable, and that little makes a huge difference, especially if you have somebody with long femurs. And longer legs because they have more leverage, so they can overcome that. Somebody with shorter legs doesn't have that leverage, yep. they can't overcome it as easily. So you've got those things going on now. Mm-hmm. Now this is getting really into the fine in the high <laughs> levels. When you have somebody with a cavus foot with a very rigid foot, yep, they, you can't bias them to the outside because they have no eversion, so they can't help with the foot to get the boot over, and they have to drive the knee therefore. Yep. And you don't want them driving the knee, so you've got to compromise a little bit on how aggressive. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. Eric Schlopey, who is a world-class skier, was a bronze medalist at World Championship in GS, and many times, you know, top five skier in the world in GS. He's got a cavus foot, and, and his alignment has to be dead straight onto the center of the boot, or else he gets chatter in the ski. Uh-huh. That, it starts bouncing because it's too aggressive earlier on the pressure at the top of the turn. Yeah, okay. So, Would that be almost like that sewing machine kind of feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah that sewing machine yeah, feeling of your outside leg. Like, yeah, that's what that does it's horrible. Away from you. Yeah, yeah, it's a horrible feeling. It's yeah. really horrible. I, I felt it because I, when I sometimes overcamp myself at the beginning of the season or move <laughs> it's, yeah. it's no fun at all. So, so the point there is that with that kind of a foot, you've got to be really, really. Uh, investigating and, and critical about how you set it up. And another example, you know, Tommy Moe, who was, uh, you know, won a gold medal and a silver medal in the Olympics, when when I measured him, and he was in my race program in Alaska, his his alignment was dead straight on both boots, and he was in Lang boots. And so even though I, I, I measure everybody who I coached or who I ski with, 
just to see where we are because it, it has an impact on me as a coach and yeah. on them as a student and on how I teach them. So I measure everybody. And with Tommy Moe, for instance, you didn't have to do anything to his groups. You didn't have to do it. Just leave them exactly where they were and don't touch them. And, and, and it worked perfectly, hmm. you know, obviously, for him. Yeah. So, so you, you know, experience obviously helps in all of this. If you've been doing this with racers for, you know, 15 or 20 or 30 years. Yeah. You can narrow yeah. that all those parameters down, and you have the experience from others that you can apply to the newer ones that show up. Yeah. Now, do, do you ever get that technical that you you will rotate the cuff at all? Yeah. yeah. When no, what? I won't. I won't. And and some boots do it already. Uh, heads do that already. So if you lower the cuff on a medial wall of a head boot, it not only lowers the cuff, it also biases the rotation of that cuff so that your knee will go in further more easily. Mm -hmm. If you do it the opposite way and lift the in medial wall toward the leg, it'll bias it so it tracks more outward. That was okay. More resistance with the cuff against the leg, so it will take longer or it will require more pressure to, to tip the ski over. Huh. So, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that is, it's just what it is, or do you think it's it's a it's a good thing? You just have to be aware of it and know that that, that when you do drop it, you're not just affecting the frontal plane, but you're going to get transverse plane rotational effect well, in there as well. In essence, what you can do is, if you see too much or too little of those two things in a boot that does that, then you can make fine tune it with the sole. Uh, and and it'll still work, um, and or and then really fine tune the cuff, and it's a back and forth type of process. Yeah, you just you got to test it, haven't you? You got to go. Yeah. All right, we'll go out and we video, and you tell me, and you f see how it goes, and yeah. it's the only way you know. A, a, a high tibial barum, which means that your shins at the very top where they connect up to the knee joint itself, where the plateau is of the tibia. If it curve, if your shins curve inward toward each other, at the yep. top, which is not uncommon, it's mm -hmm. 15 to 20% of the population, you will, that skier, you have to be a little more aggressive with the camping because they're biased towards tipping in. And once that momentum starts, uh -huh. that, tangi that tangential vector that is created because there's also already a head start towards the medial side, yep. you have to overcant that skier, even if they line up perfectly over the center of the boot. Mm -hmm. So these are all the little things that you pick up to fine tune and really get exacting about how the skier will ski, end up skiing and so on. Yep. So say you, you mentioned the slant boards and people can look up your slant board training on, on YouTube. I was watching a few of the clips the other night and um, yeah, what, what are some of the tests, like what, what information does that give you in the shop? Well, first of all, there's a whole series of slant board exercises for free on YouTube that show you how you tip your boots, how to put ski on edge with a boot, um, and the and it also walks you through a full turn on the slant board and how to change edges on the slant board and how to counterbalance your upper body. So that's all the technical skiing application of a slant board. Mm -hmm. but in in the shop for alignment, we use the slant board like a skier you would put on snow 
and you want them to reverse across the slope and lift up one ski to see how they're able to balance on that edge. Uh-huh. And that's what we use. We use the slant board for that, for both the big toe side, which is the downhill big toe. Yep. In that case, because you're traversing across the hill. Uh, and also on the little toe side, so we can see whether the boot wants to, while they're standing and balancing on one ski, on one boot, whether the boot wants to flat, say you're standing on your lower ski or your outside ski, yep. and, you've got, and you're, you have to lift the, the boot off the platform and hold it on an angle like you ski across the slope. Yep. Does the boot have a tendency to want to flatten, or does the boot have the tendency to want the, the knee to fall in or collapse to the inside? Mm-hmm. And that will already start to give the viewer or the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the person doing the analysis yeah. uh, an understanding of how much force that skier uh, needs to hold and balance. And some skiers can get on there and balance absolutely beautifully on one edge with the other foot lifted off the ground, yep. use their hands, you know, and, and on the sides and, yep. and stay in balance. And there is a certain amount of training to that. And we do inform the people who do this that, you're using your ankle, you're using your foot, you're not trying to control it with your knee yep. and your adductors or external rotators because those are big muscles and they don't yep. really fine tuning very well. Yep, right? yep, yep. So, so there's a little instructions to, to, to go with that yep. so that you get a better outcome and a more valid evaluation. So, um, so you did, did you, have you done any of those today? I didn't. We were skiing today, and we had we've already had all of our folks a uh, third day over. Go th- okay. All gone through that already, so we didn't do any today. Yet. So, but uh, I guess on day one, did you yeah. find a couple? You found a couple of people when they lifted their inside leg. Did you have some people go out and some people go in? Like absolutely. Yep. We we we, we do the, the measurement. You know, first flat, and then one ski, and then we we. We do. We put the inserts underneath to see how they balance station, uh, statically stationary on one foot, and then we actually tape on the cant- canting onto the bottom of the boot when we put them on before we put them on the slant board. So we actually have the canting that we would try on snow in the shop on the boots, so they can try to balance with those cant- changes yep. or modifications on the slant board. Yep. Yeah, cool. So, and so ideally... When, we, when we've got the, what I would say, if you don't have a real serious outlier, you know, like cavus foot with tib fibarum and you know, <laughs> hip uh, flexibility limitations and weak uh, external rotators, you don't have an outlier like that. Yeah. Most people, we can be within half a degree of accurate that would end up their perfect setup on snow. Yep. With, with the, all of the indoor stuff that we're doing now. Yep, cool. So balancing on those on those on those slant boards. Step forward because it does, that that saves so much reversing of the plates and, and yep. back and redoing things. Yeah. I mean a half a degree you can do on the hill, I can make that adjustment on the slope and, and, and have them tuned in and, and they can ski and, and it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Nice. So you would, like, as I looked on the YouTube video, you even sometimes tape, like, a long ruler or something under the boot to see, so it's more easy, easily vis- visually accessible as to, to whether the boot sole, when you balance on a slope, tips in or out. And you're looking for it, basically, when they balance on one leg to sort of stay level with the ground, not level with the slanted... Yeah. 
That's right. Yeah. They're trying, you know, uh, when you're level with the ground and you put the slant board under, you have to stay on an angle. And when you pick up the foot, it even becomes, obviously, a lot more difficult to mm -hmm. manage that balance. And, and also, you know, the foot has to be somewhere in proximity with the other boot, the one that's lifted. Like a ski would have to be as as you're skiing, can't yep. be flying all over the place. Yeah, 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 exactly. You can't be balancing by sticking that inside leg way over. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's not valid for yep. skiing, and, and you know, yep. we try to keep it as close to valid as possible. Yeah, yeah. But we we but we use both. We use the long can strips that we tape on, or we'll use the plates themselves that you would later screw on mm -hmm. for permanent use. Yeah, yep. nice. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. So, you, you were chatting earlier and just saying that you've refined this process now and you're getting closer to knowing that, okay, if we get this right indoors, we won't have to spend as much time doing outdoor assessment kind of drills to confirm. Yes. We still do them, but but often, not often, but, you know, like 10, 10 to 15% of our customers is, is just traveling through and they're not staying for, for a ski day. And so we want to get them dialed in as close as possible and, and we put plates on and, and send them out. And then we have them send video back. And, yep. and, and we do video analysis of the people that we can't ski with. So we actually do, do see everybody ski that we do work with in the booth. Mm -hmm. Good. And so... And nobody, nobody in in the whole world has the data that we have based on the actual indoor assessment relative to the outdoor performance. Mm -hmm. No one, no yep. one has even come close to that because we're the only ones doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very unique. Um, so I've got in here to chat to you about limb length and then that that's effect on leverage in skiing. So. Are there advantages of, I think you, you sort of talked a little bit about it before, like say long femurs, they're, they're longer levers. So is someone with longer, longer femurs going to have advantages in certain areas of their skiing but also disadvantages in other areas? We, we do a, a body, overall body uh, measurement. Uh, you know, from the uh, inseam to the pelvis to the iliac crest, shoulders, uh, up to the sternum, and then overall height as well. And so we have ratios, and we've done a number of those. Uh, and we have, a, you know, a tape measure set up in the inside where we can uh, actually put people standing there and, and start gathering that kind of information. We've been doing it for a number of years now. And, you know, it, it's, not a, it, it's not that dramatic of a surprise that what we've discovered, obviously a proportional limb length of uh, femur to, to tibia is the most ideal with a slightly longer torso is also a little bit of an advantage so that you can actually uh, place the pressure based on how much uh, you bend at the waist or at, at the hips and your shoulders can make adjustments forward and back slightly. And like you said, even your neck or where your head is that you use, that skier is going to be the most comfortable to find the center of the ski as opposed to somebody with a longer femur ratio 
compared to their tibia mm -hmm. because the longer femur puts their hips further behind them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You flex your legs, you're going to be your hips, your rear end is going to be further behind your boots than somebody with a shorter femur, right? Yep. You don't happen to know the metrics on like Marcel Hersher, do you? Like whether I don't have I don't have the exact measurements, but just watching him over the years and watching him in shorts and looking at him, he's very very uh, symmetrical limb length, of, you know, from fever to tibia. Yeah. And if you look at World Cup skiers, there are not a lot of World Cup skiers that are taller than five eleven that are really really yeah 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 different for speed events obviously but the the yeah. quick dynamic kind of yeah sp agility you need yeah yeah look at what's evolved in the women in slalom too the women are slighter they're narrower hip uh they're also straighter leg and also they're not the bi the biggest women are not the most successful in slalom either hmm yeah that's very true so and, and you know the, the 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 common comment is oh yeah well women have this Q angle and they got all these issues but no the, most of the women who are really successful in slalom don't have a big Q angle uh -huh. they don't have the big wide hips where the knees come together and they look like they're knocking standing yeah that's not, yeah that's not the slalom skier type yeah they don't they don't end up at that top level they just don't they just can't get past certain stages right with that kind of that makeup yep. So Harold, if you were given a demo team to take to the to the next inner ski, and this demo team was kind of a bunch of unknowns, what what would you be training with them? What what things would you be emphasizing and working on, you know, to make them stand out on the demo slope? <laughs> That's a great one. I, I like that. I like that one. Uh, most of the uh, demos that, that the skiers have to do, you know, they they want to see dynamic skiing. I think they want to see things that are uh, that look like it turns flow from one to the other without like a lot of extra movements that interfere with connecting turn to turn. So one of the first things that you know, some of the teams that I watch and I still watch all the teams. And I was there myself, so you know I had some idea of what different countries are doing. One of the biggest interrupters of moving from one turn to the other is extension, and so that's one of the first things you would address. Mm -hmm. Another thing that you would address is is upper body squaring up or rotating. You know, you can call it either way. You can call it what you want, but mm -hmm. it means your shoulders and your hips square up to your ski tips by the end of the turn. What that does takes a lot of power out of your turns, and it takes a lot of energy out of your ski, and it mutes the 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 release, and therefore you see more body movement. So those are some of the things I would address. And the the reason I, I bring up the upper body and the squaring up is because you can your upper body is a bigger mass, and and it moves once it starts in motion. It's very hard to slow it down and control it and do fine tuning with it. Yeah. So if your upper body is moving to, to, to to square up with your skis, it can wipe out what you're trying to do with your lower body, which is tipping to angles, right? Yep. So, so you, you end up really compromising everything when the upper body is not playing the game the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't... So I would I would look at the whole skier, obviously, and then I would see where the biggest egregious error is and what's interfering with the with the transition 
what's interfering with a with a, a transition that isn't interrupted, stopped, or has a like a staccato kind of look to it, and 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 see how I could make that transition just from a, a pressured ski with a big angled leg, go to the other side seamlessly with a, a, a beautiful kind of parallel motion of both legs going across and getting the new ski up on edge and then, you know, setting the angles before you are looking for pressure. And one of the biggest things that I see uh, is some of the teams that are weaker skiers is they're looking for pressure in the upper third of the turn, and that's not where you want pressure. You want to build angles in the upper third of the turn, and that's where a big mistake is made in ski teaching and also in people are trying to achieve high-level skiing. And, and it can take them down the wrong path for a long time before they realize, wow, uh, I'm doing the wrong thing because I'm trying to develop pressure. And when I when you look at developing pressure, the only way you can develop pressure in the upper third of the turn is by pushing against the ski. Because yeah. gravitational forces aren't going to give it to you. Yeah. So when, what happens when you push against the ski? It lengthens the leg. And when you lengthen the leg and push against the ski, it moves your center of mass to the inside, which means that you're losing your balance to the inside of the turn when you're developing pressure. What do you have to do then? Well, then you have to regroup. Then you have to bring your center of mass back over the ski, and by then you're at the bottom of the turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a self-defeating approach to way, the way you ski. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Those are, those are all things that I look, would look for to... I don't like the term smooth, but to make it look seamless to yep. one turn to the other. Right? Yep. Yeah. Nice. Nice. The, the other big thing is how do you get forward again? And, and that's a really misunderstood area. And fortunately, you know, some of the guys I've skied with and worked with, like Riley, for instance, he's got this down. And he uses the right approach for this. And that's why Riley is such a great skier. He knows when he's, he's got a long outside leg coming through the bottom of the turn, he knows he has to retract that leg, flex it, aggressively pull it, and then pull that foot back underneath his hips so that the center mass can travel to the shorter line. And th This has been talked about for a long time in skiing. Even when I was on the demo team in you know, PSIA, they were always talking about taking the shorter line with the hips, but they didn't have the mechanics to make it happen. Mm -hmm. They were extending mm -hmm. and they were twisting. Mm -hmm. Steering, as they call it, or whatever rotary skills, or whatever yep. you want to call that. I don't. I don't use it in our teaching system. Yep. So I have to use their terminology. Yep. But that is defeating in getting your center mass across and getting it down the hill ahead of your boot. So sure, it's easy to see when someone's doing it right. They're getting the center mass ahead of their boots. But it's not so easy to do that when you've got the wrong mechanics around yeah. your technique. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's interesting. I. I'm about to work with some guys from Switzerland via Skype. So do some, some biomechanics kind of training and some body awareness stuff off snow. And one of the concepts we're going to cover is that there's always three ways to change a joint angle. So to create hip extension, there are three ways to do that. One, you can leave the feet where they are and move the pelvis forward, which is what I think most people try and do to create getting their mass forward into a turn. Second, leave leave the kind of the hips where they are and pull the feet or the, the base of support back underneath to create an extension at the hip without needing to move the pelvis. And then third is a bit of a combo of, of both. But, but that concept is one I think is really important for every skier to, to know and understand because usually where they fall down is they have only one way 
of creating that movement. Like you said, the, the pushing of the leg is how they get inside rather than tipping, which is the second way, you know, leave the feet where they are and let the body move in instead of leave the body where it is and push the feet out. They both create an angle at the end of the day, but, but they're two different kind of ways to get there. So I guess you're, you're talking about really at the high end, you've got to, you've really got to aggressively move the feet back, pull them back underneath you to help get that mass ahead and take the shorter line. Yeah. And, and we teach that to, you know, the intermediate levels here and, and it's highly successful. And you, you get a different product of movement. Absolutely. Uh, you start identifying different right away when you start doing that. Yeah. Plus, it helps, it helps to flex the leg that's in the way of getting the center across. So it, it does a lot of things. It doesn't just put, get, recenter you. It, it also gives you earlier and better angles so you can be upside down on the slope because, as you know, when your legs are bent, you're going to get a lot more lateral range of motion of your femurs and your legs. Mm -hmm. But if you're extending out of that turn, you're not going to get that lateral range. No. You're going to get incli inclination at the top of the turn. And you cannot stay in balance long with inclination. That's right. Because there's no, no forces holding you up. Yep. So you end up on your inside ski. You end up twisting the outside ski because it's not turning fast enough. These are all breakdowns. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> cool. Hey, so... If I, your question was, what would you do with a demo team? Well, you know, I would eliminate the breakdowns and the gross movements and <laughs> get them onto the most efficient way that is going to produce the kind of balanced arc that you're looking for yeah excellent so world cup has just started we've seen a couple of races and uh on your blog you've mentioned just pointing out some issues some skiers some of the top skiers are, are having um perhaps due to their boot setup what are some of the things you've seen like for instance with michaela what did you see with her boot alignment in that first race well, first, the first thing is that everybody understands that Michaela is a, a phenom who has amazing abilities and skills and, and has a huge talent. Mm -hmm. uh, although, if you take a huge talent and you put them in boots that don't work very well, that huge talent struggles, and she struggled definitely in the, in the first few races. And and I and I took the frames from a number of different uh, turns that she was making, especially on her right leg, which is the most egregious one. And it was so out of alignment and so out of where she would be in a favorable setup that she was skiing defensively. And even when Michaela skis defensively, she comes second or third. You know, even a few years ago when she was really out of sorts with her boots. She was placing fifth and sixth or seventh. And then when she changed back to the boots to the year before, she was winning. The net difference was three seconds mm -hmm. when she changed boots. This year, from when I put my posts up, and there was a lot of reaction to those posts. A lot of people came in and said, oh, yeah, I saw that. I didn't know what it was. Or, yeah, well, that's just because you made a bad turn. Well, I, you know, when you do every turn and you can show it with, with frames, uh, that mm -hmm. it's not... It's not a single turn. An anomaly. Yeah, yeah. Not an anomaly at one turn. Now, this was repeating itself time and time again. And when Michaela loses a slalom race to somebody like Volova, there's something wrong with her boots or 
it's not her skiing because she didn't lose her her she didn't lose her mechanics and she didn't lose her ability to move laterally and she didn't lose her sense of her skis over under her but she did lose the sense of the skis because they weren't in the right place and at the right angle and her boots weren't at the right angle and so she struggled she 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 had to work twice as hard and and made a lot of mistakes on the way down as a result, but she still got a second place in that slalom. The next slalom, they did a change. They made a change, there's no doubt about it. The angles are different. You can measure the angles in different parts of the turns. You can slow it down, you can look at it and say, wow, she can get her ski on that. She doesn't have to drift into the turn. She doesn't have to wait till the skis are way out to the side of her before she can lever her knees over to get to an angle. And then she was making two and three edge sets in each turn on her right leg in that first race of the mm-hmm. So what would you say the the boot would have been, how would it have been set up? Uh, to me, that what was going on there is her ankle was locked and the cuff was too strong against the top of her leg. Okay. Those two, those two things were without a doubt. Yep. Because she couldn't, she never rolled the ski on edge. You know, when you, when you watch a skier and they can tip the ski over without hesitation and increase, continue to increase that angle to where they have the maximal amount, where they feel that grip is perfect to get around the bottom of the gate. When you stop, that's that's working. Mm-hmm. She never even got. She never got to that point. She would skid the skis out to the side flat, and then as she approached the the follow line or slightly underneath the gate, she spread her feet really wide, and that's a sure sign that you can't lever the ski on an angle unless you get your feet apart, because that gives you more leverage, you yep. more femur power using your adductors to, to basically slam the door of yep. the knee into the hill. Yep. And that's what she had to do. And, you know, she's a good enough athlete to get away with that and still play second. But she's not winning. She, yep. You know, I, I, I made a comment in, in that blog post or on the Facebook post. She's two seconds slower than she should normally be. And guess what? When they changed her boots for the next race, it, it, she was almost made up those two seconds that I was mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. There's no there's no way that a skier like Volova should be beating Michaela Schifrin because her yeah. alignment's not that great either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so you know, my one of my comments was the quality of slalom skiing in the women's field right now is as low as I've ever seen it over the years. Huh. Because Michaela should be winning runs and races by two seconds, no doubt about it, because she's that much better. But if you give her a lousy pair of set of boots. She should be right in the mix of the top three. <laughs> yeah. Makes it, it makes it look competitive, but it's not. It's yeah. really a fake competitiveness because they've detuned, they've detuned her ability to ski the way she normally ski, could ski. Yeah. So have you, did, have you noticed any, any of the other people, any of the guys, uh, like some standouts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they know, Head knows that uh, Pantaro is not happy. In slaw, he has not been happy since he switched to head boots. Huh. His setup, they have not figured out his setup. So what did they do this year? They made him extra bow-legged, and you could see it in his first race in slaw at Levy. He was sure he was getting a better edge grip because he was before his knees would go so far underneath him in an A-frame, he could almost not get out of the turn. The A-frame was so severe. Yeah. So that was la- last year. Now what they've done is they bow-legged. They made him so bow-legged that. He gets a lot of grip, and he's able to hold some grip that he wasn't able to do before. But now he's so slow because he's, he's over-gripping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's like seven, eight-tenths of a second out of run. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the setup, they've gone from one extreme to the other extreme, and they haven't improved his, his performance with that. 
and, and instead of saying, instead of doing, well, maybe halfway in between would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> like, not, not go all the way to the one extreme and then the other extreme, but I, I guess that's what they have to do to figure out where he is. Yeah. Whereas, I'm sure they don't do the steps that we take when we do alignment in our job. Yeah. To find out exactly where his optimal is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. So, so he's one of the ones. The other one is uh, uh, Mirror, who is, you know, coming back again after a number of years of not having good performances. And he also switched ahead, but his left leg is not working for him, so he's dependent on making good turns on his right leg and then having to scrub whatever he scrubs out of the left leg and then recover again on his right leg. And that's a, a, a nasty way to have to speed down the hill. Hey, you, you've had your left knee replaced uh right knee right knee replaced how much do you think like an injury or like you know knowing you've got one knee um like this is before you had the replacement like when your knee was not as great as it could have been how much could do you think that might be playing into someone like like the top athletes like Michaela Schifrin um you know, and how she might also then struggle a little bit with getting the correct boot set up because there's a bit of a, an issue through, you know, the joints there. Can you speak to that as from someone that's had some issues in one knee? Well, yeah, my, my knee injury on my right was a, a result of a soccer injury, uh, you know, when I was 27 years old. And so it deteriorated over the years and then to the point where the arthritis was actually changing the cracking in the alignment of that knee. So I was almost two degrees of uh, knock knee or valgus on that side and had to shim up, you know, the bottom of the boot to take care of that issue for the last four years at least of my skiing on that knee. I don't want to. I don't want to seem like a, a stalker, but I looked on your Facebook and found the X-ray. Man, that knee! Holy cow! Yeah. <laughs> that was right before you had the replacement. Yeah, yeah, it was, a mess. It was pretty was bad. Space, it was really an ugly arthritic knee, and I, I, I used it up. I mean, it was as far as it could go. I, yeah, I couldn't do. I could not have done it. I actually used an unloader brace, if you know what that is. Uh, it, it's a brace that you put on it to, to force the, the knee to be biased more to one side. Right. I didn't wear out the medial side. Of yeah, it. okay. Unloader. My last year of skiing, I was using an unloader brace. Yeah. yeah. People, people didn't know that because I was covering it up. But, <laughs> uh, I, was in, I was in pain the last year I was skiing you know, with that knee. But now it's absolutely straight. They did a beautiful job. Yep, awesome. But, but, but you know, that... Someone like Michaela or, or someone top athletes won't—they won't experience that until they're older, and, and you know the knee starts to show the manifestations of the wear and tear that they put into it over the years. Mm-hmm. Did you do you think there was a psychological a component, sorry, at all, like going on, you know, like trust in your knee at times or? Do you think you kind of only the, only the last year I was able to with medication and uh, with uh, different techniques uh, to keep it when I was actually skiing I put it out of, I was able to put it out of my mind mm-hmm. I didn't even know I didn't realize that uh, you know the the pain was there but I I put, I put it out of my mind I was skiing like I normally would have skied even though you know it was canted differently 
but the last year I felt that I had to sort of back off on that music. I couldn't use it to the extent that I had. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's, 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 uh, once you're in the, in, in the heat of the, the game, you know, in the heat of the match, so to speak, skiing down, making short turns, you're more focused on what your skiers are doing and what, and what turns you're making than what your knees are doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted, you know, to just see if there was any part of that element that would, you know, contribute possibly to, because um, her right leg is worse, her alignment, and that, and that's the one that she injured. And so uh, there's probably some part of that side not being as strong or well aligned. Um, um, we talked slightly, a little bit about this last time we had our podcast. Um, the injuries on elite athletes or even recreational skiers are almost 80% on the side that is the most misaligned or the weakest setup. Yeah, there's a correlation. There, there's a definite correlation between injury and a bad setup. Yep. Right? Yep. And the side that's the worst setup is the one that usually gets injured first. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Things go to the weakest link. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And and I think there can be more done to make Mikhail's right leg work better than it is right now. Uh, she's she's. I mean, Killington was a, a big move forward from the previous uh, setup, but I think there's still more to be done. Mm-hmm. Yep. Harold, we're going to uh, wrap up. I've got to go help out my new little right. son get 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 some rest and help the wife. So, um, But it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Really interesting and appreciate your insight into boots and skiing and, and all the experience and that that you bring. So thanks very much again. My pleasure. I'm glad, uh, glad to talk with you and have the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Look forward to hopefully, you know, the day when we actually get to get on snow and share some uh, some turns together. Yeah, I would love to get back up to Sun Peaks and ski there. You know, I have a lot of friends in Canada still. Yeah, so let's make it happen one day. Great. Awesome. All right. Bye. Stay on the line, Harold. I'll just uh, I'll finish the recording. Thanks. Excellent. Some of you may already know that I've been advising Carve and working with the team for some time now. And this year, the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date. They've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system. They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, early weight transfer, and one that measures the G-force in a turn. And that one, I have to say, I got to try it out this winter in Australia, and that is really fun. This new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch. Now, what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your ski IQ score. This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow, or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks.